Good morning. We are going to start our Sunday school class. Welcome to all those out in YouTube land. Uh, before we begin, we're going to say a word of prayer. So, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Lord of all power and might, who art the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of thy name, increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and of thy great mercy, keep us in the same through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, there we go. Okay. So, today we are going to continue onward in our study of asceticism. Can, does anyone remember our working definition of asceticism? Discipline. Discipline. Very good. Specifically, spiritual Christian discipline, but discipline is a great one-word definition. Today we're going to start on prayer. So over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. That's sort of the three cornerstones of Lent. And the biggest takeaway from this class is to get us to do something for spiritual discipline for Lent. Um, we're starting with prayer, uh, probably do fasting next week, and then uh, almsgiving will be our third class, and then we'll, we'll find a class where we, we either wrap up or I might do a, a special class in the Book of Common Prayer in asceticism. All right, so we are doing prayer today, lesson two. I'm going to give us an outline of our lesson today. We see a working de- definition is discipline for asceticism. So today... We're going to talk about what is prayer. Um, we're also going to talk about what is the purpose of prayer. We're going to explore what is called the threefold rule of prayer. And involved with that, we're going to do a little study on what I call the prayer sandwich, which is the threefold rule of prayer broken down. In the prayer sandwich, we're going to study the Mass, the offices, and private devotions. We're going to talk about obstacles to the prayer life, and we're going to wrap up with takeaways. What are the big things I would like for y'all to remember if you remember anything from this class? Okay. So, what is prayer? Does anyone want to volunteer a, what they believe is a, a good basic definition of, of prayer? Communion with God. Communion with God. That's a really great one. Does anyone have a, a, a different wording for that or another way of saying it or a different take on it? I'll say a conversation. Conversation. Anyone have anything else that they, would, that they think, what, what is prayer? So um, I've heard it said that the, the perfect prayer is when we speak to God the Father in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And it is, it's communion, it's a conversation. Um, and we're going to talk about the types of prayer and how that affects um, our prayer life. Uh, one thing I think we should talk about, though, is what prayer is not. So, prayer doesn't change God's mind. So, I don't know how many of you think that. I used to sort of think that, well, if I pray hard enough, long enough, enough times, get enough people to pray for me, if I really mean it, and this thing that God's not letting me have or not doing, well, he'll change his mind about it. And, and, and frankly, 
There's places in Scripture where we read literally God changes his mind, but we have to understand that's our, our perception of God, our human perception. God does not change. So God doesn't change, uh, God doesn't change his mind. Prayer does not change uh, God's mind. Um, doesn't earn brownie points. You don't uh, stack up. Well, I've said my daily offices every day this week, so I've been a really good boy. And I'm gonna, I've got lots of credit with God. Um, that's, not, that's not what's going on there either. Um, along with the communion and the conversation, I think these are important because what we're talking about when we talk about communion and conversation is a relationship. And oftentimes what prayer is for is for you. God doesn't need your prayers. Sometimes we, I used to believe that maybe God was lonely, needed me to talk to him. You know, Jesus was lonely in the garden, please talk to him. God is not lonely. But we need prayer. We need communion with God. We need to be quiet and still and conform ourselves to God. In a lot of ways, prayer is about turning off all the noise and distraction and letting the Holy Spirit work through you. Another thing uh, that prayer is not is not, um, we need to be careful about emotionalism. Like if I don't really mean my prayers, there's a reason we have a liturgy. You involve yourself in the liturgy. It doesn't really matter how emotional you are about the liturgy. It's still effective. So we're going to talk about, after having said that, we're going to talk about the types of prayer. Uh, the Mass and the Liturgy, as Father Paul would say, this is the most important prayer service you will ever attend, is um, Holy Communion, the Mass, the Liturgy, um, the Eucharist. And why, why is that? It's because it's the most visible representation of the corporate nature of prayer. It's also the one time where we are actually fed from the Lord's table. Um, you, 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 can't, you can't be fed from the Lord's table if you're not at the Lord's table. And the whole service is really a prayer service where you partake of a meal at the end. Um, the second type of prayer we can talk about is offices. Now these are the set offices. We have morning and evening prayer in our book of common prayer. Uh, the medieval church by this point for the Reformation, the monastic offices, I believe there were seven of them. And most, most lay people couldn't do that. Uh, and that's why personal private devotions became very popular. If you're working in the fields, um, you can't pop, pop down and, and do your mid, midday prayers. And so the, uh, during the Reformation, the English reformers took the seven offices and, and, and squished it down into two, morning and evening. And in a sense, that's like, oh, well, the, man, that was really bad because all the monks and the prayers went away. But on the other hand, that was turned over to the people. Uh, I, can, I can't pray seven times a day. I don't know about y'all, at least not, not out of a book. Uh, but I can usually get my two done. Um, so we have our offices. The offices are important because, once again, they remind you of the corporate nature of our prayer. It's the prayer of the church um, that we're praying. And lastly... And of least importance, although this is usually turned upside down in most people's heads, is our private prayer. And why is private prayer of least importance? Because, first of all, none of it's private. You're praying as part of a corporate body of Christ. The only reason that you can pray to God at all is because you've been baptized, you have the Holy Spirit, and you're praying through Christ to the Father, and... 
um, being filled with the Holy Spirit and praying, no matter where you are or how you're praying, you're connected with every other person who has the Holy Spirit. You're praying as a body, and our head is Christ. So your private prayer is really part of the corporate prayer of the church. That's the reason we have prayer at all, is because we have this body that we're a part of. Uh, so we can break down private prayer. And, and um, I followed uh, Father Thornton's book on this. Uh, it actually has a lot of good information. And this is just ways of talking about prayer. I, 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 I tend to uh, have suspicion when we, when we start putting things like prayer into different categories because I feel like that's too rigid. But we'll go through these for the, for the sake of organizing things. Mental prayer. Um, this is just praying in your mind, going throughout your day. Uh, I would say that, if at all possible, try to make mental prayer a constant habit. In the Eastern Church, you'll hear about the Jesus prayer, and they'll talk about the prayer of the heart. And the, the point of all that is, is to always have an attitude for your praying in your heart to the Lord. Um, after coming to St. George's for a while, I found that I would just be driving down the road in my FedEx vehicle or whatever and just start praying the liturgy. It had been in my head so often. That's what we're trying to cultivate, is cultivate a sense of the Lord and that he's always with us. All right, recollection is also a type of mental prayer. It's part of your private prayers. Um, this is when you're specifically stopping to recall the Lord and to thank him for things. Prayers at meals are a good um, example of this. You may have private devotions that you recall the Lord, different moments like stations of the cross. Uh, then we have colloquy, and this is a fancy word for being, basically saying conversation, having a conversation with God, and prayers can fall under petition, self-examination and confession, intercession, thanksgiving, and adoration. And you can see, to me, for some of these bleed over, to me, petition and intercession are really, really similar. And... To do any of these, you're probably going to be bringing to mind things that you should be repentant of. And you're probably going to be thinking of things that you can give God thanks for. And in the act of giving thanks, you're going to give him adoration. So these are nice little blocks of categories, but they all tend to bleed over in, in their practical use. Does anyone have a question about this or any of this material so far? Okay, then we will go on. For next slide. Let's talk about the purpose of prayer. We've already spoken about this some. We're going to talk more specifically about it. Uh, so we've talked about context is everything. It's incorporation into Christ that's the context for any meaningful discussion. The fact that there's an incarnation and Christ took on the human nature and shared, he takes on our nature so that he can share his nature with us. That's the reason we have prayer at all. It's because we are involved, incorporated into Christ. Uh, we talked about how our prayer is only a part of the total prayer of the church. And uh, we have to realize that the church is in heaven as well as on earth. So probably our prayers here, on the ch here, here um, are, are less perfect, if you will, than the, the people that are glorified with the Lord. They're praying on our behalf. We can see that in the book of Revelations. Um, if the Lord is... This, the thing that always kills me, people are like, well, saints don't really pray for you. They've got better things to do in heaven. I'm like, if Jesus prays for you in heaven, I think his disciples are probably going to follow his example. Um, I like this quote by Father Thornton. 
The body of Christ, like a human body, lives and works by food and exercise. By the Eucharist, which is our food, and the spiritual exercise of prayer. And the Christian's life is one of a continual participation in the offering of Christ to the Father. We talked about that, that act of recalling throughout the day, being present. Um, there's a, uh, back in the early um, 1900s, there was a French Catholic workers' movement. And they, they basically had this saying where they said, my workbench is my altar. Because everything they did throughout the day, they would be calling the Lord and offering it to the Lord. So really our whole lives, if we're Christians, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, our whole lives are an offering to the Lord. And it really is up to us to remind ourselves of that and to actively engage in offering everything we do to the Lord. The St. Paul talks about that, for their I eat, for their drink, whatsoever I do, to all to the Lord. Okay, threefold rule of prayer. We're going to talk about rule of prayer. Is anyone not familiar with the phrase, a prayer rule, or rule of prayer? Does that sound bizarre? Okay, okay. All right, it is bizarre, because like prayer shouldn't be about rules, right? So here's the, the thing. Most likely, you all have some sort of prayer rule, and... A lot of Christians' prayer rule is, I pray before my meals, and whenever I need something, I pray. That's a really bad prayer rule. And they would never say that's my prayer rule, but that's what their prayer rule is. It's really just a standard, a set way of saying things. If you don't have a prayer rule, it means you probably have a very bad one, like what I just talked about. Um, Really, it's a very good idea during Lent to consider, okay, I am going to do something regularly, my regular rule of prayer. and set that as your benchmark. I'm going to get up every morning and I am going to pray the psalm for morning prayer and say the collect and then go about my day. Because the point of the prayer rule is to have something to aim for and not to beat yourself up if you miss it. If, if you are more concerned about getting your prayer rule done and you just freak out because you haven't done it, give yourself permission to be like, it's okay. I tried, I got my kid was crying this morning, I had to take her to school, and then I had to run to the grocery store and to get my morning prayer done. But the point of the prayer rule is to have something, something to shoot for. Because if you have something to shoot for, you'll, you'll probably try and remember that. So, we're going to talk about the threefold rule. There's a hierarchy that we've talked about. The Mass, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion is the most visible manifestation of the corporate prayer of the church, and it's where we receive actual food back to us. Uh, the offices are the daily prayer, sit down to remind us of the corporate nature. And devotions, the important thing to remember about devotions is they are things that are tailored to your uh, individual experience and taste. There are going to be some devotions that, that have a lot of meaning for you. There's going to be someone who comes up to you and tells you, I have been doing um, Stations of the Cross. I just love it. Every time I get, I get weepy over our Lord. And you're like, that is so boring. I just don't get anything out of Stations of the Cross. I don't like going to it. So really, remember that devotions are tied to your personal preference and experience, the Lord. Okay, so the prayer sandwich. Now... A good sandwich, a real sandwich, none of this open-faced sandwich nonsense. We need two good slabs of bread, okay? I'm a sandwich chef. My mother-in-law has actually complimented me on my sandwich making, so it's pretty good. Um, So we want two thick pieces of bread, we want lots of meat and cheese in there, and then stack it with veggies, and 
uh, mayo, mustard, whatever, whatever you want on there. And I'm trying to get us to think in the idea of a sandwich because this is going to help us with our prayer life. So the Mass, Holy Communion, this is your bread. This is your base. You don't have bread, your sandwich will fall apart. Um, if you have one of those disgusting open-faced sandwiches, you're going to be wearing it. It's going to be all in your lap. You need to use a fork with it. Um, and, and the important part to remember is that the Mass is foundational. The liturgy, divine, uh, Holy Communion is foundational. Um, you need something that's going to hold your prayer life together. Uh, at the very least, it's Sunday Mass. That should be the, the bookend to your weekend. It should hold your week together. You come on Sunday and you go throughout your week and you look forward to the next one. Um, and uh, it's, it's really the foundation of the Christian life. Um, there is a saying, and it's true, you have to understand the context, there's no salvation outside the church. That's because everyone that's saved is incorporated into Christ. But really, you need to be here receiving God's body and blood. This is the bread. This is the central way in which Christ acts in the church. It also makes us participate in everything that Christ does. I've heard sometimes that this is called a time machine. Probably not the greatest um, word to use for it, but it does really make us present in all of what Christ is and does. Um, I was talking to Father Paul the other day when we were talking about uh, Holy Communion, and we're like, you know, we celebrate days like Easter and Christmas, but really, every time we come to Holy Communion, it's Christmas. It's Easter. It's our Lord's Ascension. It's the Transfiguration. It's all the saving events of God made present to us for us to participate in. That's why, I mean, once, once you start to wrap your head around a little bit of what the liturgy is and what's going on, I'm like, why would you want to be anywhere else? It's, it's almost too much to take in. It's also the marriage supper of Christ and the church. There's a very real way in which we're present at the end of time when we have Holy Communion. Because that event of the consummation at the end of ages is also present. Um, I believe, and I've, this is the teaching of many saints of the church, that the point of all creation, and we're creatures, our telos, is the Holy Mass. Why is that? It's because Jesus Christ is the point of all creation. His incarnation by becoming man, that's the focal point of everything that God does in this world. And it is here that we are made a part of that incarnation, that we are incorporated into Christ. So really, as far as I'm concerned, whenever or wherever the Mass is celebrated, that's the center of the universe. Um, and we've got to remember, it's, it's Christ working here. It's not us. A lot of times people will say, like, well, how can a priest forgive you your sins? Only God can do that. Or, you know, how can, um, how can this bread and wine become the body and blood of God? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Well, it would be ridiculous if it wasn't God doing it. God works through the priest. He is the one forgiving sins. He is the one giving us his body and blood. Um, and it's also through the Incarnation and Holy Communion that theosis, it's a fancy word, basically means becoming God. And we have to qualify that. It means like we're becoming like God is, is accomplished. Um, does anyone have a question uh, or a comment on the Mass? Anything? Yes? I've had a lot of people that I talk to about Christ. They say, well, you don't have to go to church right. to be a Christian, and this is a good... 
Yeah, that's, that's really, you don't have to go to church to be a good Christian. You can be a really bad Christian and not go to church. Um, uh, I, I, the way I think about it, and, and I, still, I steal most of the stuff I tell you from other people. A lot of this comes from Father Paul. A Christian who doesn't go to church is a plant that is drying and dying. We are all vines on Christ. And if you don't get watered, and fed and sunshine, you're going to be brown and withered. Um, so if you want to be a Christian that doesn't go to church, you must enjoy being a dead plant. That's the way we look at that. Does anyone else have a comment or a question for us? Okay. All right, the offices. This is, okay, remember, the masses are bread. So next most important is your cheese and your meat. And we're not vegans, so we're going to have real meat here, not that, not that peanut loaf or whatever people have. That's fine. If you want to do vegan for Lent, great. Um, so this is the common prayer of the church. After the bookends of the Holy Mass um, that, that solidify your week, throughout the week, if you can go to the Wednesday service or the Thursday evening service, um, uh, that's great to, to go to, go to U, the Eucharist during there. But most likely, um, you're going to be at your house, at your job. And the daily offices are a way of continually involving you in the corporate nature of the church. All prayer is corporate, but when you pray this office out of this book, you are reminded that you're praying the same prayers as other Christians all across the world. And Anglicans got in a heated argument, which ended up in a civil war with the Puritans over written prayers. And one of the Anglican arguments for written prayers is, I don't know what you're praying. You might be a heretic and praying some gobbledygook, how can I join you in your prayer unless I'm actually listening? Okay, I agree, that's normal. Okay, that sounds good. Yes, okay. If you pray the liturgy of the church, you can join in that prayer without having to worry. Am I praying right? Is this person actually praying to God or some tree spirit? Um, So that's one other way that uh, the the liturgy works is we're praying prayers that are time-tested by the church. Um, the morning and evening prayers, like I said, we talked about our condensing the seven times of prayer. Um, and I would also say that these are offices to be prayed, but they're also examples to be followed. If you'll notice, usually there's a basic rhythm to the, to the prayers and the offices, um, the way they petition God, offer Thanksgiving, ask for intercession. Um, and you will notice, at least I have, that if you pray these regularly enough, your own private prayers will begin to resemble this rule, this pattern. Um, it's a lot of people have a hard time praying their offices. So uh, my exhortation to you is during Lent, if you don't pray them at all, try doing something. Try looking at the, looking at the psalm, try praying the collect. Um, open your, crack your prayer book. If you never crack your prayer book during the week, Try, maybe during Lent, I'm going to open my prayer book and try. I'm going to try something. Um, okay, devotions. Now, this is the one where everyone puts this at the top. That's the most important thing because they believe they get the most out of it because it's usually a more tailored and emotional experience. Okay, so our prayer sandwich. We've got our bread, we've got our meat and cheese. We have got a good, solid sandwich that's filling already. These devotional things are like pickles and lettuce and mayo and mustard. They're a little bit of spice. Uh, They fill the sandwich out, but they're not foundational to it, and they're not the meat and cheese of the sandwich. They are private prayers, but our devotions are still a part of the corporate prayer of the church. 
So what are different types? I'm just going to talk about a couple of the different types of devotions. All right, so prayer ropes are very popular, and I brought a couple of my own. I brought a standard rosary, and y'all can come up and look at these after the service. I brought a Orthodox prayer rope for the Jesus prayer. Um, when you use prayer ropes, whatever stripe, uh, one of the things you'll run into is um, people will tell you, well, that's just vain repetitions. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. You're just, those are just vain repetitions. Um, they're not. They shouldn't be. If you believe that saying prayers over and over again are vain repetitions, you're in the wrong church. We say the prayers every Sunday. It really comes down to like how close you put them together. So is it vain repetitions if I wait five minutes between each knot? Is that a vain repetition? No. The point of repeating a prayer over and over is not to earn brownie points with God or to really get his attention. It's really for you. It's for you to quiet yourself. Do, um, there's a thing called centering prayer, which is a little sketchy, but it's true. You're centering yourself, trying to remind yourself of what's important. I challenge you, if you have never prayed a prayer rope, try praying through one without getting distracted. Try praying through a prayer rope without thinking about your grocery list, what time you've got to pick up your kids. Try praying one psalm in your morning office without getting distracted. So really, these are training, trying the, the way they're supposed to work. Is they're trying to train you to get rid of all the noise going on in the world around us because there's lots of distractions. I've got a cell phone right here. This is... Actually, this is why I recommend you don't do your offices on a cellular device because you'll be praying, our Father, oh, look, Google has just decided to um, turn it off, uh, go into a space that's quiet, use an actual prayer book, use an actual rope that you touch, make yourself quiet. If you can make it five minutes without distraction, you are ahead of me. So... It's, it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, Stations of the Cross are a, a devotion that we do here. Um, you obviously can see the pictures that are, are around. Um, one thing you could do for Lent is, um, you know, if you're trying to advance your prayer or something, try to make it a Stations of the Cross on Friday. I believe we're going to be offering it a little earlier, 3, three o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Um, and... You say, well, man, I've got to drive 30 minutes to do a 20-minute devotion of Stations of the Cross. That's not worth it. Well, it may be worth it, but if you have that attitude, maybe you should say, well, I can take my prayer book and after Stations of the Cross, I can do evening prayer in front of the altar. Um, as, so going from evening prayer at the altar, we'll talk about holy hour and adoration. A lot of Christians practice sitting in front of the altar um, and uh, either just being quiet reading the Psalms, reading a religious text, um, and just spending time alone with our, the Lord's sacramental presence. Um, and to go along with that, I've got two books that I'm going to show you. You can look at all these. these are, the reason I'm suggesting these two books is they are both officially endorsed by the traditional Anglican Church. This one's sold by the APA. This one's sold by one of the other continuing churches. It's the Practice of Religion. You can find this on the APA's website. And the St. Augustine's Prayer Book. Word of warning, St. Augustine's Prayer Book. There's a modern version of it out that has updated language. That's fine. But if you want prayer book language, look at it and make sure you're getting the more traditional one. Um, there's devotions in there for the Holy Hour. There's devotions in there for prayer ropes. 
Um, and so if you want something like, well, I want to read something while I'm sitting in front of the altar for 30 minutes. This, this book right here has several different types of devotions. We're sitting in front of the altar, meditating on our Lord. Um, images. Another way of devotion. I brought these teeny tiny ones. So our Lord and our Lady. This is a little icon that I sometimes take with me. It's small and tiny. Um, you can have, I have some icons in my, in my house. I suggest that you have a place where you go to pray um, that, that's set aside for that purpose. If you are just like sitting in front of your TV doing your prayers, it's not going to really work. If you have a place where like this is where I pray, um, I go here. Remember, we're humans, so we're body and soul. So whatever our body does is going to have an effect on our soul. Um, and so it's a good idea to have a place go in front of, I've got a cross, I've got my prayer book, I'm going to kneel, I'm going to stand, whatever. It's not a bad idea to have um, some sort of holy corner, whether you have uh, icons or statues or, or nothing, maybe just your prayer book. Having said all that, all of this is optional. This is the least important thing you should be doing. If you only want to pray your prayer rope, and you never pray your offices, please check yourself and reorient your sandwich. If all you ever want to do is, I'm going to pray my offices throughout the week, you know, I really feel like I'm in touch with God, I don't want to go to the liturgy because I've got to be with all those other people, check yourself. You are wrong. Reorient your sandwich. Um, these, I'm just holding these out as things you can do because really during Lent, Try to pick up one thing. Try to, try to pray in offices. If you're a, an office warrior, maybe do a prayer rope. Maybe do Stations of the Cross. Um, remember, it's about discipline. We're disciplining ourselves. Um, does anyone have anything they want to share about devotions that they, maybe they practice that haven't covered? Does anyone here do Lectio Divino? <laughs> Nope, that's, that's, okay. Uh, all right, does anyone have any questions? Yes, yes. Josh, uh, I, uh, I understand what you're saying about the, 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 the devotions, mm -hmm. but uh, sometimes, like, when I'm out of town, I will listen to something mm -hmm. like Trinity Mission. Sure. The Daily Office. Yeah, and th that's a great thing. Um, so what I said about don't use your cell phone, um, I, I would rather you go into your hotel room, you've forgotten your prayer book, pull out your cell phone, and listen to a homily. Do your offices. So all these are just general rules. Remember, you're free to break the rules. That's what they're there for. Um, and so, um, as Joe said, you know, do something. Um, these are all ideas. Um, the one thing, one of the takeaways from the class today is to, if you have always thought that your personal devotions were the most intimate times you have with Christ, I would like you to consider that maybe Holy Communion is actually the most intimate. Um, so a lot of the stuff I want to get you thinking about what prayer is and what it does. Does anyone else have anything? Yes. They also just have little tiny yes. prayers that you can wear and one thing, one thing, and I made this mistake. We're going to talk about this in a minute. This is a large prayer rope. 
I really like to go for a walk with my dogs and use my prayer ropes. And then I realized I'm showing off in front of every person and this idea of cultivating humility and being alone with the Lord, and I'm walking around with this honking huge prayer rope. Nothing wrong with that. You know, I've seen some rosaries that you could, you could knock a man down with, you know. And that's great. Um, but you could also buy uh, small bracelets. You can also just count on your fingers or, or however you want to do it. These are just tools. These are tools. They're not magical. Okay, obstacles to the prayer life. Okay. Um, dryness. We all go through dry spells where we feel like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Before I became an Anglican and was introduced to Catholic theology, I thought, that's bad. Oh, man, I've got to try even harder. I've got to try harder. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers, talked about how he would spend, I want to say he said he would spend hours at night praying prayers because then he would pray them and think, I didn't really mean that. So then he'd do it again, and he'd do it again until he got into the right frame of mind where his prayer was perfect. Well, that is really a temptation from the devil. Um, that's one reason why we have a liturgy. There's going to be times in your prayer life when it is dry, and the point is not to beat yourself up over that. It's to keep going. Uh, many saints of the church will talk about God will send a dryness into your life as a way for you to actually grow. You should consider that oftentimes having a dry prayer life is your opportunity to persevere and to cultivate that quietness, to cultivate that presence of God, and God's giving you a fight to find that, and it's for your good. So dryness, aridity is not bad. It's going to happen. Sometimes this gets really boring. Um, and, you know, I hate to say it because I'm, I'm going to be a priest. Sometimes, sometimes I'm there at Mass and I realize, oh, I've gone through this entire service today next to Father Paul and I haven't thought about any of it. That happens. Um, wandering thoughts. We've talked about a lot of these devotions are designed to corral our wandering thoughts. It's very hard, especially in today's day and age with so many um, distractions and our cell phones and everything else. Wandering thoughts are an enemy of your prayer life. And I would say the thing to do with wandering thoughts is realize you're going to have them, just like you're going to have dryness. Sometimes I'll be praying a devotion, and I'll realize I've just completed my grocery list with my psalm. That's fine. Reorient myself. Get back on it. Um, it's, it's that rule. It's that steadiness. It's that discipline. It's asceticism. Magical thinking. These are not magic. Um, you will see, I've seen this from Protestants and Catholics, pray this prayer... And you will get such and such a thing. Um, this prayer will bring you health and wealth. If you pray this prayer to Mary, she'll get God to do this for you. No, that's not how this works. That's magic. That's a spell. You're casting a spell. Um, so you're not praying to change God's mind or to force him to do something that you want him to do. That's what magic is about. We celebrate the Mass and it becomes the body and blood of our Lord because God has told us that. We don't control God in the liturgy. So um, uh, magical thinking is an enemy to the prayer life. Um, along with that is you can have a craving for mystical or emotional connection. And this one's hard because I think all of us want that when we pray. We all want to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, whatever that means to us. Maybe it's a sense of euphoria. It might be a sense of um, peace. Um, and th that's good. God gives us those things 
um, as a consolation. But if all you're doing is seeking that emotional or mystical connection, you're going to be sorely disappointed in your prayer life. It's going to go something like this. Man, I have been praying my offices the whole time during Lent, and I hardly felt like I connected with God, so I'm just going to stop doing that. Well, the next thing you know, you're just going to stop praying. I did that for a while. I was like, no, I don't really feel prayers. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I'm not really getting anything out of it. And so I just quit. Um, so you shouldn't have dryness all the time. And you shouldn't go completely without some sort of a mystical or emotional connection. But realize those things are not the norm. Novelty. Um, Preaching to myself here. Look, I've got two prayer books, two prayer ropes. I've got Book of Common Prayer. I've got some icons down here. Wow, I wonder what else I can get. <laughs> okay, so my wife will tell you that this is actually a problem with me. Uh, she was like, You've got a lot of icons, Josh. Um, so I would rather you do a thing and do it well than to try 20 things and to have all of them last like a week. Okay, this week I'm going to really start, uh, I'm going to start extra offices. Okay, okay, that's, that's fun. You know, this week I'm going to pray the rosary. And this week I'm going to really build up my prayer corner. No, 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 no. Just do a thing and do it well. If, 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 if the psalms are your thing, pray the psalms. If praying a prayer rope is your thing, pray the prayer rope. Be careful of craving novelty. That kind of goes along with craving that emotional or mystical experience. It, it's actually a trap. Find a thing that you are good at, that means a lot to you in your private prayer life, and stick with it. Uh, the last thing, and I think almost all of us fight this, is having a time or a place to pray. Now, when we come to the church for the Mass, we have a time and place. Um, this is where I think it helps if you have a place in your house or somewhere. Uh, there's a certain trail I like to walk on where I walk my dogs and I pray. Um, Try to make the time and place. And some of it may look like this. Some of it may be like, I don't ever have time to pray in the evening. I've got to get supper going. I've got to get my kids' stuff ready for school tomorrow. I've got to talk to my wife about the day, blah, 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 blah. I don't have any time to pray. Well, that's probably true. You can't pray a full evening office. But maybe you can say the psalm. Maybe you can say the collect. Certainly you can say an Our Father or something. So... Uh, time and place is really about priorities. And if you have to shorten your prayer rule to get it in there, I would rather you do it consistently. It would be better for you to say the psalm in the evening than to not do anything on Saturday, read the entire Psalter. Remember, steady, paced, rule, discipline. Okay, does anyone have any comments before we move on to our last slide? Yes. Mm. And they're very short. Yeah. Morning and evening. I mean, you can do those in a minute or two, yeah. really. Yeah. And, and that includes the collect of the day, yeah. you know, or, or the week, you know, the whole yeah. I mean, You can do that. You and your family yeah. can do that. And if you do that on a regular basis, that sometimes I just don't have time to do anything yeah. else. And that's what I have to do, like, just right at the end of yeah. the day. You know, and, so. and I think, uh, um, Bob's hit on something. It's really, it's where your mind is at. If, if you're thinking throughout the day, if you're dreading, oh, I've got to do that evening office, and that usually takes like 20 minutes, I've got to miss my show, and da-da-da-da-da. 
Well, first of all, change your priorities. But secondly, it's a, it's a mental energy to invest that much time in evening prayer. If it is that much mental energy, then just shorten it. I'm just going to do the psalm every evening. I'm just going to do the collect and the scripture reading every evening. Because um, frankly, as Bob just said, it does not take long. Most of us throughout the day have huge gaps of time. If we realize that maybe we should consolidate some of those into our prayer time. Um, all right, anybody, anybody have anything else they want to talk about? Or say, as anyone else have a problem that's cropped up in their prayer life that we haven't really covered or share? Okay. All right, takeaways. So I'm hoping that this, if nothing else, is what you remember. Prayer is corporate. All prayer is corporate. Your private prayer, you're praying as the body of Christ. God doesn't need our prayers, but prayer works, okay? So what does that mean? It's the paradox. God doesn't need anything from us, but he chooses us to have us incorporated into his saving plan. So your prayer life is a chance for you to participate in that. He's going to accomplish his will regardless. You know, if you don't pray, for instance, um, Victor is not feeling well, we're praying for him. We are given the opportunity to participate in God's work for Victor. God will accomplish his work with Victor regardless, whatever that is. And our prayers are a chance to participate in that. Um, we're not going to change God's mind about victory. The Lord's going to take care of it. So that's why God doesn't need our prayers, but prayer works. Progress, try to, try to do something for Lent. If you don't do anything, try something. Try considering adding an extra thing. And remember your threefold rule. Your priority should be Holy Communion. You should have a regular prayer life centered in some way around the offices or the Psalms. And you should also have something that's spiritually meaning to you in your private life. Um, does anyone have anything they want to share, ask, or say? Yes? Something I learned from Pope Paul, when someone says, will you pray for me or pray for my brother? I immediately pray, just right then. I don't put it like back here and say, mm. I'm going to do it later. Um, I just... Uh, let me tell you a secret. Let me tell you a secret about that. That's, no, that's excellent practice, and I don't want to take away from that. But if you pray the office, you're praying for Christ's entire church and for the world. So a lot of times... People say, will you please pray for me? I say, absolutely, I will. I pray for you every day. Because I pray for everybody every day. Now that sounds a little cheap, but that's the importance of the daily offices. Every day we are interceding as church for the church and for the world. Um, you certainly should pray for people by name. I have a list of names that I stuff in my prayer book, and I go through them. But one of the secrets and tricks is, if you're praying your prayer offices and people ask, can you pray for me? You say, yeah. Because you're praying for them anyway. So. Yes? Well, sometimes stopping and actually praying for someone is that we're two or three Yes. And it brings a real sweetness of just Absolutely. We talked about uh, private devotions. I may have made that a little too private. Your private devotions could be evening scripture reading with your family, it could be evening. Um, prayer office with your family. It could be evening, whatever you do, with the, with the family. Um, even our private devotions can be small corporate. That's a good idea. Yes? Just a couple of quick observations. First, I like the sandwich. Yeah, okay. And, and because you, you seem to be driving us, it seems to drive you towards the Mass. Yes, While sure. our tendency will be to move towards our personal devotions. Right. Because we see them, we do them. Yeah. Um, we, you know, they're 
keeping that in mind, I think that's a, it's a, that's a really useful way to think about it. Um, I think um, maybe Kevin uh, Marshall might disagree with you on something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and the other thing is, is very helpful, I think, to think about is, is this whole concept of dryness and really being common, being, you know, don't, you should expect. Right. Because in the first time or the times it happens, it feels, it feels bad. Yeah. I mean, really yeah. Is, is I, I can say to myself, you sort of start scrambling around for things that will help you plug back in. And it wasn't until I read, you know, Mother Teresa mm -hmm. had multiple periods of time in her life but yeah. that last, lasted years, three, five years of, of dryness, of not feeling connected. And if it can happen to her, yeah. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. It, yes? Uh, yes, I've, I've written several pieces. Father Paul's putting them together, unless, I don't, it's going forward, so there should be one. Yes. Anything else? All right, thank you so much. Uh, God bless, and I'll see you in there shortly. <laughs>